This week, we're picking up right where we left off last week, in the middle of a hard conversation being had between the disciples and Jesus. And as we dive in, I will share that the Gospel of John and I have not always had the best of relationships. Every time I approached it, I would get lost in the tongue twisters like last week's, if God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And right before this week's text, we hear, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I would feel disconnected from the confusing yet verbose promises of what's happening and what's to come via the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful language and poetry, don't get me wrong, but there was just something missing for me. It wasn't until I began my work as a chaplain at Duke University Hospital that this part of the Gospel of John began to really open itself up to me. Up until that point, I had only had a couple run-ins with loss and death. And it wasn't until I became a daily companion to those suffering through the pain of loss or grief or death that these words uttered here in our text hit me with the full weight of their gravity. It was a humbling reminder that we are always learning that these texts are alive and you have no idea when one day something you've read for years will just kind of smack you in the face. I was fresh out of seminary, ready to take on the world, so I'm sure I probably needed a little humbling. And what struck me was that Jesus is saying goodbye here. And that might be a very obvious observation. But there's a difference between understanding loss and goodbyes and knowing loss and goodbyes. Jesus and the disciples are in the midst of knowing and navigating this goodbye. This chunk of text is what we call the farewell discourse in academia. Jesus knows he does not have long. He's trying to prepare them for his departure. And he desperately wants his disciples to remember what I would argue are three main things. One, most importantly, that they are not being abandoned. The exact NRSV translation of verse 18, just a few sentences back from where we pick up today, hears Jesus utter the words, I will not leave you orphaned. I mean, what a way to speak directly to the heart of it all. These words hit deep to that universal fear every single one of us has felt. We are not being abandoned. Turns out, all that flowery language of I am in God and God is in me and so God is in you was meant to be comforting and empowering. It was just another way to tell the disciples that though things might look different, he will still be with them. Jesus is telling them, there is not a world in which I would abandon you. And you will soon see how much I mean that. Two, Jesus wants them to remember that when they are feeling lost, because it will happen, all they need to do is lean into their love of God and keep remembering and living into the words of Jesus. Or, as we would say it here at Christ Church, Jesus is reminding them to lean into their love of God and live into their love of neighbor. And three, Jesus wants them to have hope. When he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, he's not saying don't let anything get you down or that hope only counts if it's 100% positive all the time. He's reminding them that although this may feel like it, 
this is not the end, but just an end. As he's saying, my peace I leave with you, Jesus is pointing to the foundational truth we hold as followers of Christ, that God is not done with us yet. This peace is the hope we hold on to, that with every ending comes a new beginning. Now, I want you to imagine that you knew you would soon be leaving your loved ones behind. I know it's morbid, but just hang with me for a minute. What would be the last few things you would want to say to them? Probably something like, I love you, maybe I forgive you, or I will always be with you. Even keep my memory alive and tell my grandchildren about me. It sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying, right? This text is an astoundingly honest witness to the poignant love that loss sometimes brings to the surface. It's a glimpse at how we can sometimes experience endings or loss or grief through the lens of love, peace, and hope. This is, of course, not erasing any of the painful realities, but rather embracing them. Because on the other side, the disciples are having an equally honest reaction to Jesus's not-so-subtle hints at leaving. Thomas asks point-blank in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, in my experience, when we know we are facing a loss or about to confront a big change, not only does our heart break, but our fear begins to seep in. Like Thomas, we can feel disoriented and wrestle with questions like, what will I do without this or without them? How will their memory live on? Will I ever recover from this? What do I do? These questions not only encapsulate exactly what the disciples are feeling, they also mirror the same feelings and questions that I would get as I sat with grieving families and friends in the hospital. This is being in the midst of knowing and navigating loss. It is the same then as it is now. Navigating grief and fear shows us how deeply our senses of purpose, identity, and meaning are inescapably woven into who and what we love. And that's not a bad thing. That's community. Now, at the beginning of my tenure as a chaplain, huddled in those small rooms with families, I would sometimes feel like a failure because I couldn't give them an emotional checklist of things to offer that they could do to ease their grief or recover more quickly from their pain. But of course, as I would learn and be reminded every time I walked into a new circumstance at the hospital, there is no checklist and there is no roadmap. Anytime someone would start to offer any trite words of comfort, like God needed another angel, in that heavy silence that so often surrounds loss, I would cringe and think of that scene in the movie, The Princess Bride, where Wesley is talking to his long lost love and says, life is pain, Highness. Anyone saying differently is selling something. Now, while I'm not gonna go as far as that, he is pointing out a very human tendency that I would see all over the hospital. We are deeply unsettled by the mysteries we cannot solve in life. We want everything to have an answer, 
Think about how many things were sold, conceptually or tangibly, in our world that give us an answer, that promise to give us a way out of pain, to save our lives in some form or another, or to just help us escape the mundane. We are surrounded by quick fixes, misleading promises, and recipes for success, whether they be diets, schools, surgeries, new jobs, new partners. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but none last forever. We have grown so scared of anything but an exceptional existence, tricked into thinking that pain and grief can be optional or logic into acceptance. We want to ignore the truth that life is messy, loss is unavoidable, and that actually God never said, follow me and you can avoid pain forever. Amidst life's inevitable messiness, the joys, the pains, the beginnings and endings, that is where we find love. And the words and teachings of Jesus, especially here, have only ever pointed to one real goal and one real promise, to love God, to love one another, and trust that God never abandons us. The answer was not the outcome, but the experience. And Jesus knew all too well the truth of this matter. He was probably looking into the eyes of his friends, seeing their fear, seeing confusion, sadness. And he knew that the only words, the only wisdom that would serve the disciples and guide them through life rather than around it was to remember him, to remember love, remember hope, and act accordingly. And while it's not a checklist, these things will most definitely save your life. Now, for anyone who's walked with someone through their final months, days, hours on this earth, these words and these sentiments probably sound deeply familiar. And while we may wrestle with fears of loss and abandonment, I would also watch the conversations that would happen in these hospital rooms and notice that quite often they would become a counteracting source of comfort for both patient and family. By turning towards one another in their grief rather than away, it created a way of staying grounded, connected, and offered space for real meaning-making to take place. I spent time with a family who, in the last hours of their loved one's life, went around sharing poignant memories, some wisdom gained from their loved one, and sentiments of deep love and appreciation, all through bouts of deep tears and deep laughter. It was powerful to witness a family come together and embrace their grief in such an open way, rather than trying to avoid it. It was bone-tiring work, but they knew it was holy work too. I also distinctly remember thinking that I have never, truly never, heard the words, I love you, spoken as much as I have in that room and in those rooms and experiences at the hospital. That's something to take note of. It was one of the greatest gifts of my time in chaplaincy to see grief and gratitude as bedfellows. What mattered to people when all illusions of grandeur fell away without fail were always the same. Love, memories, gratitude, and hope. Jesus is the patient here and the disciples are his family. And what matters now is, yep, 
you guessed it, love, memories, and hope. I know I sound like a broken record, but the beauty is in the simplicity of it. These are the things that get us from point A to point B, even when we don't know where we're going. And it bears repeating that these words we hear from Jesus are not a checklist. They point to what really gets us through life at the end of the day. And thank God they're not a checklist because they're something better. They are a promise, a promise of a deep and abiding presence. Jesus says towards the end of our text, peace I leave with you. Another translation of this text could be, my peace I bequeath to you. Jesus is handing over the reins. He is gifting his disciples an unending supply of God's presence and God's peace to aid in that hard work of living into and maintaining his words and memory. And as much as that promise of presence has saved me time and time again, it has. It is just a glimpse of the peace and presence that we are promised. Our Revelation text is a jaw-dropping portrait of Eden, quite frankly. In this metaphorical vision of hope, there are no walls between us and God, no need for temples to signify what is holy and what is not, no pain of loss or ending because the whole city is overflowing literally with the love, the peace, and the presence of God. It is a perfect portrait of those words, I will not leave you orphaned. How loved are we that our Creator would tear down walls to be near us, would feed and nurture us continually without prerequisite, and take away night so the creeping fear of abandonment never touches us again. This is the truth of the love of God, and the truth of the love that God would have us share with one another and with the world. Yes, indeed, this is the promise. But the truth is, for now, we will all feel the acute pain of loss or abandonment or grief at some point in our lives. And I think we can all feel empowered enough to admit that that scares us. And that's okay. Because here Jesus is saying, it will be okay. You will get through it. I will not abandon you. Jesus has given us and the disciples the wisdom and the words to walk through life together, a way to remember and to continue the good works of Christ even after he's gone. So through all that, what I'm hoping you hear this morning is that endings can illuminate what matters. We need not be so fearful of them. They often draw us closer together as communities ask us to reflect on what we've gained through that season and press us to trust the presence of one another and of God. It dawned on me Monday night during our leadership council meeting that maybe this is exactly the holy wisdom we need to be reclaiming as we journey towards Steve's impending departure and a new beginning with a new pastor. There will be anxiety, there will be sadness, but that's not all there will be. Let's not forget to leave room for hope, for love, for joy and gratitude. Just like that family in the hospital room, let's embrace the grief and gratitude. This is the hard and holy work that we have been called and equipped to lean into. Let's take time to share fond memories, 
offer up hopes and excitements for the future and to speak the words, I love you, or I appreciate you more often and honestly. Let's lean on each other and engage authentically. Even if that means you are like Thomas and offer up the honest sentiment of how can we know the way? And lastly, let us remember that what is going to save our lives and create a resilient community is not a checklist, but a presence. The presence of love, of memories, peace, hope, and the promise that God will never leave us to face our troubles alone. Amen.